This morning we have the privilege and honor to have Pastor Ted here from Your Ministry Matters. And uh, Pastor Ted is a personal friend of mine. Um, we've grown, in fact, the Bible says that there's a friend that's closer than a brother. And that's who Ted is to me. And I gave him a call probably about two weeks ago, and Ted had actually taught at our men's retreat in the beginning, back back seven, eight years ago. And I think he did two or three years with us there. And the guys in the church really grew just to love him. And our church loves Pastor Ted and Vicki every time they've ever come here and visited. So I was able to talk him to come down for the men's retreat, and then I wasn't going to get him out here without him preaching this morning. So I'm looking forward to the word that Pastor Ted's going to bring this morning. And and like I said, just uh, I encourage you to hear it and apply it. So we walk out of this place and we're able to do what God has called us to and bring glory to Him. So with that said, Pastor Ted. Come on, brother. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for the truth that is Christ. Thank you for taking the words of a mere man and running them through the Holy Ghost. And Lord, let people hear not my words, but your words. and Let them be changed and transformed. Help me, Lord, to handle your word correctly in a manner that gives you honor and praise and that keeps me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the the goal of the gospel, this is, this is the craziest time in my life and craziest time, I think, in human, in human history, at least for us, you know, watching our country just kind of cave in upon itself. Um, and how long before the things that are happening in the world are going to happen to the church? I think a lot of those things are already happening in the church, but but I think it isn't going to be long it's going to happen to the church. And we experienced a certain part of that when we had to shut down because of COVID or uh, we had to make a decision as pastors and say, what's the right thing to do? Uh, and then the gospel, you know, this will sound strange, but, you know, I've said over and over again, I'm not sure that, that what we know to be the church is actually the church anymore. I, I think the Bible speaks a lot about false converts. I think there's people that approach the gospel, a uh, large share, of, uh, talking about what, what's in it for me. I'm going to come to Christ because I need this. And so we have a whole church generation that are coming to Christ, so to speak, because of what they feel they need, rather than through the knowledge that I need Christ. I need Christ because I'm a sinner. Because without Him, I'm nothing. Or, or 1 Peter 3.18 has become one of my favorite scriptures. Why are you a Christian? What, 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 what was your pers- purpose? Because I can tell you that the goal of the gospel is not to get you to heaven. That's not it. it it's not to keep you out of hell. 
Uh, it's not to avoid hell. It, it's not about your being healed or God supplying your need or fixing your marriage or making your business prosperous. What, what is the gospel about? Well, 1 Peter 3.18 to me says it, well, to anybody that reads it, should say the same thing. Jesus Christ died, the just for the unjust. You can say amen to that. This. The Scripture goes on to say, Jesus Christ died, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God. That's it. That's it. And, and, and what should our lives look like as Christians? Because it, we're so fast-paced and we've got our cell phones and we, get, we're, we got them out, we're looking, we're, we're constant. I drive my wife nuts with my cell phone. And I know better. But we're all so busy and so preoccupied with other things that uh, Christ becomes and the church becomes this add-on. To our lives, rather than the focus of our lives. What, what did Jesus say? What, what is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all. All is a huge word. It should be bolded in your Bible and should be circled. And I, I remember as God began to teach me these things, we pastored out in Iowa for 17 years, and we've been back in Michigan now for 10 years and close to 10 years. And, and I remember walking around the church, walking behind the church, and just saying, "Lord, help me! I, I can't, I can't figure out all, because I, I get focused on all, and then I get sucked off into this area over here, and, and I, I love this." Jesus talked to Peter and said, "Hey, Peter, th- this is what's going to happen when your old people are going to lead you where you don't want to go." and And this was to signify the type of death that Peter would glorify Christ with. Now, now what is a death that glorifies God? What what does that death look like that glorifies Him? I, I think a death that glorifies God is one that says, what I'm going to gain, what I'm going to see, where I'm going eternally, is of so much more value to me than anything that I leave behind. I'm in the hospital. I'm two two hours from dying. The family's around weeping. I want to be able to say, man, don't weep for me. This is where it's just about to get good. You say, don't don't you want to be... I have 11 grandkids. Don't you want to be with your grandkids? Don't you want... Don't, don't you want to see your grandchildren get married? Don't you want to be a great-grandfather? Don't you want to hold my youngest son and his wife just found out they're pregnant again? Don't you want to hold that baby? Yeah, I do. I do. But I want Jesus to put a love in my heart for Him that is so far beyond. You want to be my disciple, Jesus said? Here, here's what you got to do. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And we can we can jump over top of that scripture. We can repeat that scripture and and miss the meaning of it because deny yourself means refuse to associate with. That means to take all of your hopes, all your dreams, all your plans, all your goals in life, and just refuse to associate with them. I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals and plans and dreams. 
but they should not be more important than Christ. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, which, by the way, is an instrument of death. So die to self. And follow me, which personally I think is the most difficult of those three commands. Because uh, uh, I think we're born with this thing that says, I want to be in control. I'm in control. I want to be sovereign of my own life. And just, you're not. You're not. God is sovereign. God is in control. God leads and guides. The heart of the king. You think Biden's in control? I, I don't care if you voted for him or Trump or what you did. You think that uh, the Chinese guy's in control or, or Putin? No, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. It doesn't say the heart of the king that is submitted to God, but the heart of the king is in the hand of God. God turns that heart any which way he wills. God's got this thing. And we are going headlong, we are plummeting. Headlong we are coming into the coming of Christ. And, and if you don't pay attention to the things that I'm going to share with you today, which I'm sure are in line with what Pastor Dave has already told you or continues to tell you, that then you, I don't know how you're going to make it to the end. I, 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 don't know how you're going to, I don't know how you're going to survive. Because I'm going to give you the key to running this race all the way to the end and successfully saying, God, here I am. And hear Him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, I have a Facebook account. Don't hold that against me. I try not to uh, get into um, debates on Facebook. I, I just think that they're not worth I think communication, written communication, is probably the lowest form of communication. So I use Facebook kind of like my own, uh, in something encouraging to say or or do. And and you know I'm guilty of clicking into some of the uh, little videos that are encouraging and such. I remember seeing a video of this um, little toddler, and I don't know what he, what happened. I think it was thunder. But I think this, this toddler heard thunder and he ran down the hall, the hall and he wrapped his arms around the neck of this big dog because he was afraid. And, and I just chuckled over that and I laughed about it. And it wasn't long I started to think, where do you run when it thunders, Ted? What, what, what happens to you when thunder takes place? What, what do you look for, for safety and security and assurance? And, and when I say thunder, and I think it's a good question for all of us, if we really do love the Lord our God with all, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, if, we, if, if Christ is your treasure, and, and I don't know that for you, you don't know that for me, but if Christ is your treasure, just think about this. If Christ is truly your treasure, Above everything. Here's what that means. You can lose everything. You can lose your spouse. You can lose your house. You can lose your business. You can lose your relationships. You can lose your kids. If Christ truly is your treasure, 
you can lose all of those things and you've lost nothing. Because Christ is your all in all. None of us want to lose those things. But do we want Christ more than those things? So where do you run when it thunders? What's the thing that you latch onto? I, I, we, we, uh, Vicki and I did Christian counseling when we came back to Michigan. We, we did it for uh, quite a while. And I, we just found that a lot of people that came, they just wanted a list. You know, give me ten things so that I can have a happy marriage. Give me a checklist. And I, I always tell them, I can give you a checklist. But here's what's going to happen. As soon as you go off the rails, as soon as she does something or he does something that doesn't fit with what you want or desire, you're going to go off the rails. And when you do, you're going to go back to default mode. You're going to go back to function the way that you've always functioned because what, what you need is not a checklist. What you need is a changed heart. Because if your heart is changed, you're going to function out of that heart, not out of a checklist. A checklist is going to do you no good. You need a changed heart. So I, I can ask you as a church, where do you run when it thunders? And you can give me the right answer. Jesus. We're going to run to Jesus. Yeah, well, you're going to get a chance to prove that as soon as you go off, something goes off the rail. As soon as you get the report where the doctor says, it's cancer, where are you going to run? As, as soon as you get the, the bank statement and what you thought was there isn't there, where are you going to go? When the stock market takes a dive, where are you going to go? When somebody near you discovers they have COVID, where are you gonna, what are you gonna do? Where, when, when the fear comes, I, when, when I talk about when it thunders, I, I'm talking about something that is so unexpected that it just rocks your world. One of your kids is in a car accident. My niece went to a camp, camp counselor recently was in traffic, somebody was looking at their phone, traffic was stopped, and her car was crashed into, and she died instantly, pushed underneath of a semi. Where are you going to run when that kind of stuff happens? Because that's serious thunder. You see, if you, you don't, I used to tell my boys, we have three sons, my wife and I, and while we were raising them up going through their teenage years and, you know, the hormones get going and, you know, they discover girls and girls discover them. And, and, and we did our best as parents. But I used to tell them, you have to decide in advance what you're going to do and not do before you get car. You have to make that decision. You need to make that decision right now. Because once you're in the heat of the thing, it's too late to make the decision. Because then your flesh is going to take over. And the same thing is true with what I'm telling you now. You, you have to make the decision that Christ is for you, your treasure. So that when the cares of this world come, and they will, when persecution comes for Christ's sake, and it will, when they hate you because him and, and, and they will, what are you going to do? 
what are you going to do? Um, so, again, we're in church. I wouldn't be surprised if you said, I'm going to run to Jesus. But very rarely do we get that opportunity to stop and really make a conscious decision after the devastation has occurred. I remember back in, uh, it was 2007, and I know for sure because I looked it up, but I, I remember it clear, and maybe some of you will. Remember back in uh, 2007, there was uh, an Amish group, and they had their own school, and uh, this crazy guy uh, took a gun, went into the school, kicked out the adults, and held the school hostage. And during this time of, of holding the school hostage, he ended up killing uh, five girls and shooting ten. But out of those ten, five died. And I, and I remember at the time going, oh, man, what would cause a guy to do that? But what was even more amazing was the way that the Amish responded they literally went to this guy's funeral. They went to the graveside. They hugged the family. They, they brought things to the family. They forgave the family. I mean, their own kids are shot and dead, and, and they're reaching out in love to this person with forgiveness. And I remember telling Vicki at the time, they didn't just decide this. They lived this. This is not something that they just said, you know what, we need to forgive this guy. No, this was something that was already in them. It was already ingrained. It was already happening. They were living these Christ-centered lives and the strength that he provides and that strength comes from the Word and the Spirit. And Romans 1.16 says the Gospel is the power of God for salvation. This, this good news. Jesus Christ died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. That's the goal. If, if somehow somebody told you that coming to Christ was so that you can be forgiven, bless them. But that's not the ultimate goal. It's just a step up towards getting to God. If somebody told you it's about getting to heaven, bless their hearts, uh, that's not the goal. The only thing that makes heaven heaven is the fact that, that Christ is there. If somebody told you, well, when you get to heaven, you get a mansion, and maybe you do, maybe there's a misunderstanding there, I don't know and I don't care, but you need to read the rest of the verse. Why did Jesus go to prepare a place for us? Read the next verse. Because the next verse says, uh, I'm going to do this so that where I am, because I'm the goal, I'm what you want. So that where I am, you can be also. That, that was the goal. Paul, the apostle, said, for, for me to live in, is Christ and, and to die is gain. He said, if I die, you know what's so great about dying? I get to be with him 100% of the time. 24-7 if time exists, and I don't think that it does. 
But I get to see Him face to face. I get to know Him like I'm known. So yeah, for me to, to live as Christ, to die is gain. So yeah, let's get on with it. But if I don't die, for me to live as Christ, I get to be with Him 24-7. But do we really think that way? And I can tell you, I, it's impossible for me. I, I can't do it. I'm not, I, I have to rely on the Lord. In John 17, in part of what is called the great priestly prayer, and if I give you a TED version of one of the things Jesus said, Jesus said, Father, I pray, I'm praying, you're my Father, and we, we got this thing, I'm the apple of your eye, and I love you, and you love me, and, and it's a love that none of us can even compare. We, we, we can't even relate to it. But he said, Father, I pray that the same love that you have for me, this just complete, all-consuming love. He said, Father, I pray that this love that you have for me, would you put it in Ted? Now, he wasn't asking God to love Ted. He was asking God to put the love that the Father had for Jesus in Ted so that Ted could love Jesus the way the Father does. Because I can't. You know why? I love me too much. I'm too self-centered, too self-consumed, too all about me. So I have to pray and say, Jesus, I I want that in my life because I can't do it. And then we fall short. And he goes, get back up. So we raised three kids, and I can tell you, never one time did I spank my kids for falling down. Now, I may have scolded them pretty harshly if they just laid there and went, I can't, I can't, I can't. I say, yes, you can. Get back up. Get back up. But I never spanked them for falling down. And I don't think God spanks us for falling down, but I do say, think He says, Get back up. So what, what does this, if we're going to survive, Ted, you talked about if we're going to survive, what does life look like? Well, it does look like love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be days and hours and moments that you forget about Him and you wander into a territory that you don't belong in called sin. It happens. Or that just suddenly you get that shock that wakes you up and, and you're not sure where to run. Those days are going to happen. But I do know this, that if you're a true believer, he, regardless of where you are or how you got there, when you look up, He's always going to be there and He's always going to be going, now come on, come on, let's, let's do this again. But if, if we don't establish right now in, in the good times, I ate two granola bars this morning and had about four cups of coffee while I was sitting in Pastor Dave's office. So I'm well fed and well caffeinated. Life is good. But if you don't, in the times of life being good, press in and say, I need you, Lord. I need you. If you don't learn to do it now, you aren't going to do it when the cares of this life come around, when the thunder rolls in your life, you aren't going to do it. 
you aren't you aren't going to be you aren't going to be able to survive. You're going to be off in a uh, in a lump someplace. Um, don't report me to social services, but you know sometimes I feel like our kids when our our kids were little. You take them to the grocery store with you, and you tell them, "Stay now, now stay close to the cart. Now stay. They, I want to get down. I want to get down. Stay close to the cart." Hey, you're busy watching for the next hot dog sale, and pretty soon you can watch your kid just kind of wander off a little bit and go, "Now get back over here. Stay here." And they don't seem to learn. And so I know that for our own kids, there were times I went, okay, you're not listening. And I watch them go around the corner. And I peek over the top and I just go, I wonder how long it's going to be before they realize I'm not there. And then I watch a panic come over their face. And I come around and say, hey, over here. Over here. I wonder how many times God allows that to take place in our lives where He lets us just kind of wander off and then says, hey, back over here on this side. Pay attention. So if I can give you anything this morning, the the thing that I will give you is love the Lord your God with all. This gospel that we preach is not about you. It's about Him. and, And it's for His glory. I mean, there are there are times in the Old Testament where God says to the children of Israel, "Hey, you know these Philistines that you you just kicked the snot out of, and they went fleeing in terror. You know that was me, right? That wasn't you. And um, the fact that it happened is not about you. In fact, you're stiff-necked, you're hard-hearted. You guys are a wreck." And so I, I didn't do this because you're so wonderful. I, I did this because I'm so wonderful. I did this for my own namesake so that people would see and know me and see that I'm a good God who is a faithful God even when you're unfaithful. God does what He does for His namesake. And so God is always going to be there for us going, come on, Ted. Turn to me now, Ted. Don't wait until you have the thunder rolling, Ted. Stay close to me. And so I want to just take a couple minutes and and say, what does that life look like? How how, how can we relate to that? I'm 62 years old, and Dave won't let me forget it. Um, and my wife and I recently said, uh, we need to start memorizing some scripture again. And do you know, it's a whole lot harder to memorize scripture when you're 62 than when you're 16. And so we, we really have, uh, worked it over and the scripture that we memorized and just dug into was Psalm 16. And so if you have your Bible and you should, turn to Psalm 16. I want to give you an example, uh, David's example, of what it means to be just totally consumed with God, the declarations that he makes, 
And I'm going to refer to my notes because if I try to recite it to you, I'll be so embarrassed my head will get all muddy and, and it won't work. But I want you to take a look at, at, at Psalm 16 and, and see what, what is an example of what a life looks like that is just sold out and consumed with and focused on the person of Jesus Christ or the person of the Father in Christ and ask God then to imprint that onto our lives. So let, let's go through the first few verses here and, and take a look. David, David cries out. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And, and what's another word we could use for for? Because. He's saying, God, help me. He's crying out to God. God, help me. Preserve me. Keep me. That should be your cry all the time. God, keep me. Because He's a persevering God. He, he, he's going to keep you as the apple of His eye. Preserve me, O oh God, because in You I take refuge. You're my safe place. So I'm going to count on You in the midst of life to keep me as Your very own. Preserve me, O oh God. For in you I take refuge. And now listen as David now declares who God is to him. He just cried out and he said, God, keep me because you're my safe place. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. So God, preserve me. I'm trusting you that you will keep me as your very own. Now, now listen as David declares who God is to him. He's going, God, I've got my arms wrapped around you. And I'm counting on you completely. Now, I, I'm one of those guys that uh, uh, I have a concealed carry permit. And uh, so I don't carry my gun very often, although... It, it, there is a little pocket next to my bed that if you come into my house at night, uh, it, it not won't be well for you. But um, I didn't carry my gun into church today. I thought about it. Because I think if I'm ever going to get shot, it's probably going to be in the pulpit. Maybe by somebody who's a believer or somebody who's not. Just somebody who thinks they're a believer and goes, I don't like that guy. Which is fine. And I've always, I've said for a long time, I'm not dying until God is done with me. And and if you have a gun, you say, well, I have a gun, I can shoot you. I would say, go ahead and try. Because uh, unless God's done with me, you're going to miss, your gun's going to miss fire. Uh, and if you hit me and kill me, it was my time to go anyhow. So I don't care. To die is game. But I've got my arms wrapped around him. Now David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And apart from you, I have no good thing. He said, I don't have any good thing unless you're in it. And now we can go through a list. I don't have any good thing in my marriage unless you're in it. There is no good thing in my job unless you're in it. 
I have no good thing with this boat I've been blessed with unless you're in it. My deer hunting is nothing unless you're in it. Dinner is nothing unless you're in it. Now, 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 now think about that. That's everything. He says, I have no good thing apart from you. He says, I say to the Lord, and if you notice in your Bible, that first word, Lord, is all capital letters. That, that word, Lord, there, anytime you see the word, Lord, in capital letters in your Bible, it is the word, uh, Jehovah Yahweh. Yahweh was such a holy name for God that the Jews feared to even say it. What, what does Yahweh mean? What does, what, what, what is the, the, what, what can we take away from that? Yahweh, Lord here, means the self-existent eternal God. The self-existent eternal God. It means that God exists. Why? Because He exists. Nobody made Him. Nothing causes Him to exist. He, de- he exists independent of everything. And He's always existed. And, and you can say, well, I've heard that before. But I pray God just explodes your brain with the idea that He is the self-existent God. He does not rely on anything. He didn't make us because He needed a pet or somebody to fellowship with. He is complete within Himself. So David says, you're Yahweh to me. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. What is Lord there? That second word, Lord, is Adonai. I say to the self-existent God, the God who exists not because of me, but in spite of me. He says to, to God, you're my Adonai. You're my Lord, my Master, my Sovereign. Listen to what David is saying. He says, you're the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're the God of the Exodus and you're my master. You're my Adonai. And David exalts in that. Now, this is how life should be for us. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Sometimes when I'm stuck with prayer, I pray this. Preserve me, O God, for in You I take refuge. I say to the Lord, 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 You're so huge, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around You. I can't even have a concept of who You are, how You exist, where You came from. You're the eternal God. I say to the Lord, You're my Lord. And because you're my Lord and you're everything to me, apart from you, I have no good thing. And when I start to think something is a good thing apart from God, I pray God just take it away from me. Help me to see that He is my all in all. So out of this declaration that David makes, David begins to describe his life. He says, as for the saints in the land, 
They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What is David saying? David considers all the people that he knows, all the rich people, all the influential people, all the powerful people, all the people with the world's riches, and he says, you know what? There's only one kind of people that make me really, really glad, and those are people who treasure God. And then, I wonder if you're sitting there and you're thinking about the people that you know that are Christians, and you think, you know what, I have more fun with my unbelieving friends than I do with the Christians that I know. I I like being with them more than uh, with the Christians I know, which would prompt me to ask you two questions. Number one, do you know any Christians? Because if that's you, if you're asking that question, if you're saying, I have more fun with the, with the non-Christians I know than with the Christians I know. I'd rather be with the non-Christians because there I really feel comfortable. My question is, do you know any Christians? Not churchgoers. I mean radical people who would lay down their lives because Jesus means everything to them. They're servants of the world because Jesus has moved into their lives. He turned everything upside down and He broke them free from their love affair with the world and the power of sin and they walk in a radical joy for the glory of God. Do you know anybody like that? Because if you do, you want to be with them. First time that I went to India, I met people who have absolutely nothing. But yet they gave everything and would give everything that someone in a country of 1.3 billion people, 3% Christian, that someone would come to the knowledge of Christ i got to tell you, I was embarrassed about my life when I met people like that. When they put me in a room because I was an American that was air-conditioned because we're such weenies in America, and yet 20 of them stayed in one hotel room just stacked up like cordwood so that they could take part in the meetings the next day in some evangelistic meetings that were going on. I'm just going, what drives a person? To live like that. And would I be willing to be that guy? And after a week of that, I called my wife and I said, Vicki, listen, if these people are Christians, if what I see in their life are Christians, and they did it with so much joy and so thrilled that someone would come to know Christ, they did it with... I said, Vicki, if these people are Christians, I'm not even sure I'm saved. Because that's not me. I, I feel like the gospel is more about, at least the gospel I preach, is more about me than it is about Christ. I was on, at that time, I was on TV three times a week. I was on the radio five days a week, twice a day. I was doing conferences. I was traveling to other countries. And, and, and it was like, I, I just went, what am I doing 
Because honestly, it's a pretty good stroke to your flesh when you go to visit somebody at the hospital. And the guy in the next bed goes, hey, step over here. Let me see you. Hey, I watch you on TV. Oh, come on. Yeah, man, I love what you teach. Oh, man, praise the Lord. Or you go into a restaurant and you're praying over your meal and somebody says, Hey, I know your voice. I listen to you on the radio. Oh, yeah, well, God's good, isn't He? And I thought I was doing this big thing for God, but what I realized is it was more about me than it was about Him. I came home from that trip and within two weeks I stood up in the pulpit and I said, No more radio, no more television, no more missions trips, no more conferences, no more newsletters until I know that I'm doing what I'm doing for the right reason because I'm not. It's about me. And I'd like to say that God just took that one day and the next day I was all better, but I wasn't. That was like the beginning of the cracking of an egg. There still had to be a whole lot of gunk to come out for that to just be a shell that Jesus could fill. And I pray that for you. But but see, you have to examine your own heart. You have to examine your own life. And you have to say, it, it, if I, and I knew a pastor's wife who I greatly respected. She got cancer and she said, I can't die. My grandchildren need me. And I thought to myself, your grandchildren don't need you. Not if they have God. Sometimes, my kids are all doing pretty good at, I think, serving the Lord, but are they living up to what I think they should? Mm, Probably not. And I have to be reminded, you know what? God loves them more more than I do. God has laid out a course for their lives that I can't even begin to compare to. He, He is a good God and He is a faithful God. So, number one, you know, I, uh, uh, as for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Oh, I, I like hanging out with my unsaved friends. Well, do you know any Christians? Do you know any real Christians? You, you know, one of the things I like about Pastor Dave is, is I answer the same questions, and some of the guys will tell you I've done it for years. People say, how are you doing? Which I hate that question. Everybody says it. You go into Walmart and they say, hey, how are you doing? And most of the time I won't answer. And Vicky goes, why are you so rude? I said, because she does not care that I had a flat tire on the way to town. She doesn't care that our cat got run over. She doesn't care that our cable bill is is late. She says, why should I answer? They don't care. So to satisfy my wife, I stopped not answering, and people say, Hi, how are you doing? I say, It's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. And they look at me and they go, Oh, okay. Well with your soul. Because whether your cat got run over, or you got a flat tire, or your cable bill's late, if you're right with Christ, it's well with your soul. It's well with your soul. And as a side note, the question, how are you doing, 
came from an earlier time in American history when the, the total question was, people didn't get enough roughage, how are your bowels doing? And I think people don't care about that either. So I just say it's well with my soul. So think about that next time you're at Walmart. Amen. <laughs> so do you know those people? And so here's the next thing. If, if, if you'd rather be with your unbelieving friends, here's my second question. Why would, why would it be to you, a professing Christian, why would it be that you find more joy in people who find no joy in what is your primary joy? Think about that. Why would it be that you, a professing Christian, would find more joy in people who find no joy in what is your primary joy? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Next, uh, David resolves to stay clear of anything and anybody that smells like sin. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, nor will I take their names upon my lips. I'm not even going to talk about them. Hey, did you see the recent? No, I didn't and I don't want to. I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, but it's got a great plot. Twist. It's fine. I don't care. I want my life to be consumed with Christ. Next, David affirms that God is his choice and he's God's choice and everything that comes his way is from the hand of the Lord. He said, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He holds my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Well, what happens when the thunder comes? I still have a beautiful inheritance because my inheritance is Jesus Christ. He's my all in all. So we're looking past. We're looking past the thunder. The confidence that David has when it thunders, he's confident that his inheritance is still beautiful. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. Maybe these are things that you know and you hear about and you've heard for a long time. I got to tell you, I, my wife and I came to Christ when we were in high school, and we did a lot of stupid things between then and now. Before God finally got a hold of our hearts, but He has never stopped getting a hold of our hearts. And, and we we look back over the course of our lives and the things that God has allowed us to be exposed to, and we go hard. We were really stupid back then to think that or to believe that. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us there. And I think if the Lord's coming is delayed by a year or two or five or ten, maybe not even in my lifetime, 
I pray that I can look back on today and go, wow, Lord, I hope those people were paying attention to you and not me because they really needed what you had to say. Because you've taken me beyond that place and you've humbled me a little bit more, maybe a lot more. And you are more my all in all than anything. And I, I would encourage you, we, we don't do this much in church anymore, but I, I really encourage you, memorize Scripture. Get a Scripture you can just dwell on. One that you can, just like a lozenge, you can just stick in your mouth in the morning and you can just, you just run it back and forth all day. My wife and I, on nice days when the bugs aren't biting, we like to walk down to the end of the road and back. It's a half mile. And during that time when we run out of things to talk about, you know, we'll ask each other, you still remember Psalm 16? Can you still say the whole thing? And then we'll say it back and forth. And then when I'm going to sleep at night, when I can't quite get to sleep, I start saying, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, Lord, you're my Lord. I, I don't want money to be my Lord. I, I don't want sex to be my Lord. I don't, I don't want my grandchildren to be my Lord. All these things make lousy lords because they don't bring me that satisfaction that Psalm 16 ends with, in, in your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. You know, there's nothing fuller than full. He, he's, he's what you need. In your presence is fullness of joy. You can't find joy in anything that will give you more joy than the presence of God. In your presence is fullness of joy. Nothing fuller than full. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's nothing longer than forevermore. Nothing. So that's the goal. That's the prize. That's what God has laid out for us. You know what He laid out for us? Himself. People hear like the message we heard this weekend, God is for God. That's such a foreign concept to most of us. If you... If, if you uh, think about it and you're not careful, you start to think maybe God's a, a narcissist, that it's all about him. It is all about him. And if God wasn't for God, what should he be about? Should, should he be about you? No. He should, because I don't even want to be about me. I want to be about him. He is the greatest, the best, the fullness in your presence, fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. The thing that makes heaven heaven is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so I, I encourage you, I, I challenge you, check your own heart. You know the Apostle Paul, you know what he had the guts to say to the Corinthian, Corinthian church? To the church of all things. He said, hey, you church folks, you guys that work in the nursery and, and throw your money in the bucket and know all the words to the song and play on the worship team, 
Hey, I just want to include everybody because my letter's to the Corinthians. Check yourself. See if you're even in the faith. Check yourself. Are you so comfortable and you so confident that you forgot what mercy is? Because mercy isn't something we can demand. It's something that is given. You can't demand mercy. If you demand mercy, it's not mercy anymore. God said, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So check yourself and see if you're in the faith. Check yourself and see, what do I love? What am I passionate about? What is the thing that I think I can't live without? I've probably talked to my wife. I've been gone for days. I bet you I've talked to her eight times, including this morning from Pastor Dave's chair. I don't know if I could live without her. I hope that I love Jesus so much that if when I get home, she's, for some reason, the Lord saw fit to take her. I hope that I could say, Jesus, you're enough. From a crumpled fetal position on the floor. I pray that I could say, Jesus, you're enough. You're my all in all. And it pleased you to take her to yourself. And I'm not okay with that. But I'm glad she's with you. And I know that soon, very soon... I'll be there too, and it, it'll, it's going to be okay, and we're going to have a love that we never even knew was possible. Because that love will be for you and in you, and we'll fully understand what it means to be one body. See, that, that's a challenge for me. I, I, ashamed to say, I go to, when I go to other countries, I... I spend all my time thinking about that girl. Most of the pastors I communicate with, they always ask, how's Sister Vicky? How's Miss Vicky? I've been to India ten times. She's been twice. How come people are always asking about her? Well, they're asking about her because in every teaching, everywhere, she comes up because she's always on my mind. And then I think to myself, Is Jesus on my mind like that? Paul said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not only me, but for all those that long for His appearing. Did did I wake up this morning and go, Lord, today could be the day. This is it. I'm so excited. Today could be the day. Oh, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Did you? You should. You really long for His appearing? If He's your treasure, you do. I got approached by a couple of prostitutes in Uganda, and I feel like I grew up in uh, Mayberry. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't know a prostitute if it came up and handed me a business card. 
but a couple of girls came and sat down with me and when I was texting Vicky. I'm thinking, wow, great chance to lead somebody to Christ. This is so cool, you know. Finally, they got to their sales pitch, and I said, no, thank you. Nope. Well, I see you're married. You know, you're in Uganda. Your wife will never find out. I said, yes, she will, because I'll tell her. So thank you, but no. And you know the sad thing about that? and I really feel convicted about it, is the reason I said no was immediately when they made their offer, I thought of Vicki. And I thought to myself, if this was to take place, how devastated she would be when she found out and she would find out. The devil would make sure of it. How destructive it would be for my kids and my grandkids. And it wasn't until later that I thought, thou shalt not commit adultery. How could you sin against your God like that? And I thought, what is the treasure of my life? I think you should treasure your spouse. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. But I don't think that your treasuring your spouse should rise above your treasuring of Christ. So every once in a while, I'm reminded of that, and I go, Lord, I want to make sure that I love you more than I love my wife. Father, I pray for all of us. These are such crazy times. I'm getting crazier for the church. You almost wonder, who can I listen to, and what church can I go to? There's, There's so much weirdness that sneaks in 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 this disguise called gospel. It's not really a gospel. It's another gospel that you warned us about. You told us that it it would come, and, and it has come. Lord, help us to understand that and and to see that and to learn what it means to have discernment to learn what it is to have true fellowship with one another as believers. To learn what it is to love you with all. To treasure you above all. To walk with you nonstop. To dream of you. To long for you. To know that the Gospel is about getting to God, not getting to heaven. And that whatever we do, word or deed, even the small things, whether we eat or drink, that that in the midst of those, it's for your glory. Yours alone, not ours. In Jesus' name, Lord, press this on our hearts. We want to be those people who run the race to the end, who finish the race. We want to be those people that hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And that can only happen because You give us both the grace and faith to run that race and to walk it out in this life. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ted.